0: Welcome to The Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Welcome to The Feathered Desert. Today, we're talking about laws that protect birds. We'll look at federal laws and state regulations, and then we'll discuss some controversial bird feeding bans that affect our local valley area. And Cheryl's going to start us off with one of the most important bird laws. Yes,
1: the Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1918. Most people don't even know that there are federal laws protecting birds in this country. The Migratory Bird Treaty Act is such a law, and it applies... To the entire United States, every state must abide by this law. You go. Migratory Bird Treaty Act. Yes. I know that seems redundant to say, but it never hurts to repeat something important. What exactly is the Migratory Bird Treaty Act? This act implements four international treaties that the U.S. entered into with Canada in 1916, Mexico in 1936, Japan in 1972, and Russia in 1976. It ensures the sustainability of populations of all migratory, protected migratory bird species. What this means is that it prohibits the taking of migratory bird species without proper and prior authorization From the Department of Interior, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. It sounds so important. It does. it's, It's a very important law. A quote from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service The MBTA provides that it is unlawful to pursue, hunt, take, capture, kill, possess, sell, purchase, barter, import, export, or transport. Any migratory bird or any part, nest, or egg of any such bird, unless authorized under a permit issued by the Secretary of the Interior. Take is defined as pursue, hunt, shoot, wound, kill, trap, capture, or collect, or attempt to pursue, hunt, shoot, wound, kill, trap, capture, or collect. I think that covers everything. Yes. <laughs> so who does this law protect? There is a list of birds, uh, species generally based on f- bird families and individual species that are protected. There are three criteria that a species must meet to be included. Uh, the first one is it must occur in the United States or U.S. territories by natural, biological, or ecological processes. That means that it is... an is native to the country or territory that its natural migratory path brings it through the U.S. or its territories. Two, it must be a family that is currently or previously included in a treaty or revised taximo- taxonomy. Sorry, taxonomy. Taxonomy rolls it into a protected family.
0: Yeah, they're constantly renewing, they're constantly constantly revising taxonomy all the time. That just means what family they're in and the genera and all that kind of stuff. They're they're revising that all the time.
1: I thought (laughs) I just was going to clarify that. Yes. So thank you. And number three, new evidence has arisen that proves the bird species or family is native to the U.S. and U.S. territories. So like Kirsten said with number two... um, When you were clarifying that, they're constantly revising it and changing it. Yes. In a nutshell, it protects any bird that is or was found here without the help of human transport. For example, the Inca dove is native to the southwest United States, so they are protected, whereas the rock dove, a.k.a. pigeons, are not native to this country and are not protected by this law. Kirsten, did I cover everything? I think you got it. All right.
0: All right. Continuing on with this... With the treaty. With the treaty. yep. Over the years, the treaty has been updated and expanded, and the government is required to release a list of all species protected under the law. The last revision was in 2020, and that is the most current list of protected animals. Now, some of you may be thinking that this is just a law. What has it really done to help birds in reality? Since its inception, it has actually saved many species from extinction at the hands of humans. Some examples include the snowy egret that was being hunted for its pretty feathers, the wood duck that was being hunted for sport, and the sandhill crane that was also being hunted for feathers and sport. An example right here in our own backyard is the burrowing owl. Without its designation of a protected species, the city of Phoenix would not have had to take all the extensive steps to protect them from the sprawl of housing construction. We are thankful that they did. Yes. But that federal law encouraged them to take that extra step. One last thing I want to iterate about this law is that it also makes it illegal to own feathers, bones, beaks, claws, nests, and eggs from these birds as well. That does apply to any of these items being found on the ground in your front yard or on a hike or anywhere that they are. You cannot legally own them. And I can hear people already saying, but I didn't kill the bird to get it. I just found it on the ground. Well, we've heard that argument a lot, but you have no way of proving that to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife and the problem is, is that there's lots of people who are not honest. They could go out and kill the bird and then say exactly what you said and because they want their feathers and all of those other things, and they'll just use that same argument. So this law applies to everyone. Now, there are some exceptions, but these are only valid with permitting. People who help birds to recover from injuries or illnesses or li- are licensed rehabbers. They are licensed rehabbers, so... Liberty Wildlife. Um, East Valley Wildlife. East Valley Wildlife. And um, um, what's the other one? The Raptors. Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart. These are all licensed rehabilitators. They have licenses permitting through the state and federal agencies. And this is after they've taken hours and hours of classes and is working with an apprentice. You can become one of those individual, but you cannot take a bird into your home with the intention of nursing them back to health and re-releasing them without these permits. Falconers are also people that can be licensed. Falconers are people who hunt with birds of prey and they are also licensed to do so. You cannot house raptors without permission from U.S. Fish and Wildlife and only after working with a licensed falconer for years. Generally apprenticeships last five years. You will also have to have visits from inspectors to determine if the housing that you're providing meets the regulations. And those regulations are strict. You can't just put them in a little dog crate with some water and say, here we go. You know, it has lots and lots of different uh, restrictions on their housing. Then there's, of course, the rules that you must follow, such as catching males versus catching females, and then how long you're actually allowed to keep and hunt with these birds. And all of this is to protect the sustainability of the species.
1: I find that so interesting that um, falconers can, they have a limited time that they can use the bird. And then they have to be able to treat the bird in a way that it can be released and live on its own.
0: Yep, exactly. And that's why you have to work with a, a um, as an apprentice for so long. Because you have to learn how to... The bird has to know that it's a bird, that it's not a person. It's not relying on you for food. So when you're hunting with it, that bird is hunting for its own food so that when you release it, again, it knows how to hunt and it'll be able to teach its babies how to hunt and all that kind of stuff. So for a bit more on how the Migratory Bird Treaty Act came to be, please listen to our first episode of Groundbreaking Women of Ornithology and learn how a few fashion-forward women influenced the creation of this life-saving law. All right, Cheryl's going to take us down a level to state
1: laws. Oh, I got state laws. So (laughs) our our state laws follow the federal laws and can be found under Arizona laws, Title 17, Chapters 2, here we go, Article 3, and then 17 to 236. Um, That's a lot of steps. It does, That's a lot of laws. These laws do take it a step further in saying that you cannot intentionally harass a protected bird or intentionally destroy a nest of a protected bird, which includes woodpeckers.
0: Yes, it includes lots of birds that a lot of people are um, annoyed with. Yeah, But actually, I, for, I kind of forgot to put this one in here. There was actually a couple of years ago, um, ADOT, so Arizona Department of Transportation, got a question from someone who was out jogging near the 101. And in this particular area, they have the um, cliff swallows go mm-hmm. up and they build their nest right yeah. under the 101. They happen to be jogging by and they wrote in to ADOT and said, hey, what happened to all these nests? And they're like, oh, we knew we needed to tell the public about this. So they put it in their blog and they said, these birds are protected. And when they are actively nesting in there, we will, we do everything we can to protect them and leave them alone until um, the babies fledge and everybody's out. But when they're not in the nests, since these are migratory birds and only stay with us during spring and summer, they take the nests down to encourage them not to re-nest again in that same spot because you probably not yeah we're always doing construction on the one-on-one and they have a biologist who actually works for a dot and they go out and they check everything and if there's going to be some sort of construction done in that area they pre-check and they say are there nests there if the nests have not been built completely or they have not had eggs laid in them they will knock them down to encourage the birds to go somewhere else So they are definitely being responsible. They're following all the laws to protect them. And just like this one, you cannot intentionally harass them. But what they're doing is they're knocking down the nests before they're used and encouraging them not to rebuild in that area, which is an okay thing to do. Anyway, sorry to interrupt.
1: (laughs) That's all right. The other state laws involving birds are mainly based around hunting. Um, there is a specific hunting season for birds that are protected under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, and you must have a hunting license to hunt during this season. Arizona Game and Fish is in charge of distributing these permits. The regulations for each year can change because they are always assessing the population size of a species approved for hunting. Each season has a maximum bag number for how many individuals you can kill, and they have strict regulations about hunting outside um, specified uh, seasons. So I know we have dove hunting, both morning dove and uh, white wing dove in particular, because it's migratory. Yes. And um, And quail hunting. Yeah, quail hunting. That's what I pay attention to. Yes. All All right.
0: (laughs) Here we go. Our next topic Is one that Cheryl and I have kind of avoided talking about really for since really we started this podcast.
1: Yes. We we
0: we just kind of avoided it. Um, I mean we're doing a podcast about bird feeding, so one talking about bird bands is a bit counterintuitive, but it's important, but it's a bit controversial. So I think the time has come and we're just gonna have to rip the band-aid off and we're gonna have to get to it. And that is city bans on bird feeding. So the main cities in the Phoenix Valley that we'll discuss today are Mesa, Tempe, Scottsdale, and Phoenix. These are the ones that have officially passed bans at the recording of this podcast, but other cities out there may be considering them. So let's look at Mesa first. In 2019, the Mesa City Council approved an amendment to the city's nuisance code prohibiting feeding wild birds. Many customers of the Wild Birds Unlimited store in Mesa that sells products specifically to feed wild birds were pretty concerned. But we need to dig a little deeper into the code to get the whole story. So the change was certainly inspired by people feeding wild birds and attracting too many pigeons and doves. And I am now quoting from a code compliance brochure from the Mesa Police website that states, quote, It is a violation in the city of Mesa to feed pigeons and doves on private or public property. An exemption is provided for feeding of other species of birds from a feeder intended to prevent pigeons and doves from feeding, end quote. The key here is that you can still feed the birds as long as you're doing it with a feeder that prevents large birds from taking over. And you can get just the right feeder and the correct food that will cut down on the number of larger birds, such as pigeons and doves, that you're attracting. And this is essentially, really, what we preach here on our podcast, which is Responsible Bird Feeding. So Tempe, in 2018, the city of Tempe did essentially the same thing. Their ordinance was aimed at reining in people who were putting out large amounts of bird seed and attracting flocks of pigeons and doves. Some feared that they wouldn't be able to put out bird feeders anymore, but Councilman Colby Granville was quoted by the AZ Central as saying, we're not talking about a bird feeder. We're talking about a bag of food a week. All right. Cheryl's gonna take us on into Phoenix. All right.
1: So let's talk about Phoenix. In the Phoenix City Code section eight to seven point two, it states that feeding pigeons is prohibited. It states it is unlawful for any person to feed pigeons within the city. The pro the prohibition does not Prohibit the feeding of other birds using practices or devices designed to prevent pigeons from obtaining food. Once again, the city is trying to cut down on larger birds like pigeons and doves coming in droves to food, but is not opposed to smaller birds coming to appropriate feeders. Scottsdale. Now, Scottsdale's ban is a bit different. In 2014, the city of Scottsdale banned the feeding of ducks and other birds at public parks. It seems that people were bringing loaves, whole loaves of bread. Oh my goodness! Sometimes garbage bagfuls of stale bread to the park and dumping them on pathways or in ponds. Well, that's not bad. That's not good. I mean, no, it's not good at all. No, <laughs> I think Kirsten and I would both be were, are both on board with this ban since bread is terrible food for ducks. It only feeds catfish if you drop it in the water. Yeah, um, birds and any wildlife. It has no nutrition in it. And it is not a natural food for them to eat. And it makes them fat. Yeah, exactly. And gives them runny poo. Yeah. And it's not good for us either. It's not, no. So we shouldn't be eating a loaf of bread. No, we shouldn't be eating a whole (laughs) loaf of bread either. So when you break it down like this, you did a very good job, Kirsten, because when you break it down like this, it's not scary. It's not scary at all. And it's exactly what we would like our um, bird feeding enthusiasts to do and participate in is responsible bird feeding.
0: Absolutely. And I think we can both admit really that we're kind of on board with all these bans, because they actually help protect our birds by limiting the amount of food that is available, which cuts down on the number of birds in one place at one time, which decreases the likelihood of spreading disease. So, and it also encourages people to use hanging feeders and not ground feed, which is another way to cut down on spreading disease. So laws from federal to state to city or county they're not terribly scary and they're all here to help us protect our birds and to protect ourselves as well right right